Well, hey there, my name is Eric Gray, and I'm the Young Adult and Family Minister here at the Regency Church of Christ. I just want to take a minute and say thank you for checking out this message. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. And to find out more information about Regency or to listen to other messages from this series, we'd love for you to check out our website at regencycc.org. And we're praying that this message will help you grow closer to Jesus. They can be pretty stressful, especially if you have children. You've got to figure out how are we going to keep the kids entertained for however long we're going to travel because, you know, about 15 or 20 minutes in, they're going to say those dreaded words. I'm bored. Are we there yet? Uh, after about 30 minutes of getting on the road, somebody's going to have to go to the bathroom. And then at some point, it's possible that your gas light's going to come on and you're going to have a blowout. And you're going to pull over to the side of the interstate. You're going to dig everything out of the trunk that you packed, that you took hours to specifically put into place so that you can get to the spare, to get the spare out, to put it on the tire, all to lower the car back down to realize the spare is flat. Road trips can be stressful. But that's really not the most stressful part of a road trip. One of the most stressful parts of a road trip is when you're driving and you see that dreaded sign that says, detour. Now, we live in a time where it's not as stressful because we have a voice giving us navigation, whether it's Apple Maps or Google Maps, and it's saying, turn here, turn here, recalculating. But if you remember back to the time before we had a GPS or a phone that would tell us where to go, and we're, you're either using the Rand McNally roadmap or you printed the directions off of MapQuest, when you got to a detour, you got stressed. Because you have no idea, where is this going to take me? How far out of the way are we going to have to go? How much time are we going to waste going on this detour? But road trips aren't the only times that we run into detours, are they? In fact, we deal with detours in life all of the time. Detours is really an expected part of life. One of the things that I know that's true about us is that we love making plans for our life, don't we? In fact, some of us had our lives planned at a pretty early age. We decided we were going to graduate from high school. We were going to go to college. We were going to graduate from college with a degree. We were going to get married. We were going to go to grad school. We were going to come out of grad school, get a high-paying job. We were then going to go straight to the store to buy a truck and a boat. And then we were going to have a kid. And then we were going to work our job for a few years. We were going to have another kid. Then we were going to go sell the truck and the boat for a minivan. And then we were hopefully going to take a better paying job, get a bigger house. We were going to try to survive to get our kids out of the house. And then we were going to get them off to college, get them married. And then we're going to enjoy those last few years of working, eventually retire, enjoy the grandkids, tour the world, see all these exotic places that we were too broke to see when we had children in the house. And then at some grand old age in our sleep, we will peacefully pass on to eternity. That's a nice dream, ain't it? But life does not work out like that ever. In fact, you probably have already dealt with some kind of detour in your life that maybe you didn't get into the college you had planned to go to, or maybe you didn't get the job that you really wanted, or maybe at some point something happened that the company you worked for went bankrupt and you lost 
your dream job, or it's possible that maybe your child was in a terrible car accident and you got that dreaded phone call, or you went to the doctor and a few days later you got a call to come back and you received some news that was not really good from a recent medical test. Life gives us so many detours that really we should expect unexpected detours, that things happen in life all of the time that don't go how we plan them to. What's interesting is this series that we're in, The Road to Bethlehem, was filled with nothing but detours. I want us to look at uh, a lengthier text this morning. It's in Luke chapter 1, where we meet this young lady by the name of Mary. Here's a young girl, probably in her teenage years, and she's going to have an experience that's just going to absolutely blow her mind. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So we already know that there's two people that we immediately meet, Mary and Joseph, and they're engaged. And do you remember if you're married, do you remember when you were engaged that it's during that time that you're making all these plans? Here's what we're going to do with our life. Here's what we dream our life is going to be like. Here's how many children we're going to have, where we're going to live, all the different things that we're going to do together. They have made so many plans until this angel shows up. And it says, The angel went to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That sounds like an awesome greeting, does it not? Would you not like for an angel to show up and just to reconfirm or reaffirm in your heart, God looks on you with favor. I think I would be like, aside from being startled by being visited by an angel, I would be like, okay, that relieves a lot of pressure in my life right now of wondering, am I living a life that's pleasing to the Lord? You are highly favored. But that's not what it says with Mary. It says she was greatly troubled at these words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, do not be afraid. You, Mary, have found favor with God. You're going to give birth to a child, to a son. You're going to name him Jesus. You can just picture Mary going, no, <clears throat> not, not me. I, I'm engaged. I'm engaged to Joseph. I can't give birth to a child. And the angel goes on, he will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's got a logical question. How can this be since I am a virgin? I mean, that's a really good question. How am I going to have a child if I haven't done the things that are required to be done in order to have a child? Good question. The angel answers it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, uh, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now this, this is just crazy. I think one of the things we we do that we shouldn't do is we read through texts like this, and yet we diligently read it and we know exactly what it says. But do we stop to picture what it would be like to be in Mary's shoes? that I think we can all take a minute and just appreciate the detour that has just come her way. Here is a young lady engaged to be married. They're making all of their plans together, and now she has been given the blessing of giving birth to the Son of God, except she now has to break the news to her family, 
to her friends and to her fiance, and she's got to tell them, I'm going to have a child, but I am still pure. I have not been with anyone else that is not my husband. And I have not been with the man that I'm engaged to be with. Now you do the math, right? You do the math. How many times have you seen that happen before where someone is going to have a child and they are still sexually pure? One, math is easy. Mary, that's it, right? But imagine being Mary and now you've got this burden of sharing this news. Who's going to believe you? Imagine sitting down with your parents and you've got to break the news to them. Mom, dad, I got to tell you something. I'm pregnant. But wait, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't been with anybody. I haven't been with Joseph. I haven't been with anybody else. Mom, dad, this, this is going to be God's child. Okay? Insert yourself into the parent's shoes. You believe in that? I mean, now come on. Your children have probably lied to you before, but that, that's a really, if you're gonna lie, don't bring God into the equation, right? Don't be like, nope, this is a child, this child came from God. As a parent, that would be like the ultimate slap in the face. Okay, I expect my children are gonna lie to me at some point, but don't use God as a part of your lie and claim this immaculate kind of conception. I was born at night, but not last night, right? I know what happens here. And there's no doubt they don't believe it, but then poor Mary has to have that conversation, and then she has to go and sit down with her fiancé. She has to break the news to Joseph. Joseph, I got good news and bad news. Good news, I still love you. I commit my life to you. I have stayed faithful to you. Bad news, you're not going to believe the next thing I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I'm going to have a baby. And we know that Joseph doesn't believe it because look at what it says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19. It says that Joseph, her husband, her fiance, was faithful to the law. He was a righteous man. He was a good man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he's just going to end this thing privately. Now they live in a smaller village. It's not going to be a quiet ending. Then all of a sudden when Joseph and Mary are no longer together, people are going to ask questions. And when they recognize what looks to be probably not a basketball in Mary's belly, that they're going to put two and two together and realize they're no longer together. And they're going to make an assumption about Mary, that Mary cheated on Joseph, but he doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace, much less to the law that they are following that says that anyone who commits adultery should be stoned to death. But Joseph's a good man. But he doesn't believe this. I wouldn't believe it. Would you believe it? And it's going to take a visit from an angel. Here's what it says in verse 20, that Joseph uh, decides to go take a nap, and he considers this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Now, at this point, Joseph still has a decision to make. Just like Mary. Yes, they've both received either a vision or a visit from an angel. Yes, they've both received very difficult news, but each of them has to decide, am I going to take the detour? 
This is not what they planned for their life. Are they going to trust God and this crazy plan that they can't fully see or understand? Are they going to step out in faith here? And they do. They decide to remain together. Joseph stands by her side. And all of the disgrace that she's going to face, all of the rumors, all of the lies that are going to be spread, not only about Mary, but about Joseph, he's going to stand by her the whole time. And they're going to get married. And then they're going to get news. Everyone has got to go home. Got to go back to your hometown. The Roman Empire is going to take a census. They're going to count all of the people probably to make sure there's not too many Jews to overthrow them. Everybody's got to go back home to be counted. Home is 70 miles away. And they don't have a car to hop into. And Joseph, with an eight-month-plus pregnant wife, has got to travel by foot 70 miles back to Bethlehem to be counted. Can you imagine that conversation? Darling, we've got to go back. Got to go home. Joseph, we can't, we can't go home. Look at me. I can't travel that far. Where are we going to sleep? Where are we going to stay? What are we going to eat? What if we get there and there's no room for us? What are we going to, what if I go into labor along the way? Joseph, are you a midwife? Do you know how, I don't know how to deliver a baby, Mary. I just know we got to go. It's another detour. All in this story that God is weaving. And they go. And if you've read this birth narrative, you know the rest of the story that they get there and there's no room for them and baby Jesus is born in some type of stable type structure and they place him in a feeding trough that we've glorified and call a manger instead of a feeding trough. And all along the way, we just see so many detours over and over again. And I think this is why. It's because God loves detours. He loves them. Because God knows that in that moment, he can use those detours to do some profound things in our life. And when you read through the scriptures, you just read of people who constantly have detours come up into their life. Do you remember King David before he's king? He's just a shepherd boy sent to go check on his brothers while they're on the battlefield. And he walks up and sees this giant. He has no intentions of getting in a fight that day, but yet his life takes a drastic detour. Moses is out for what seems like an afternoon walk and he catches sight of a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. It's just continually burning, but it's not turning into ash. And he just walks over to check it out, just like most of us would do. And that one moment changes the rest of his life and he becomes one of Israel's greatest leaders. And all throughout the scriptures, you meet a man by the name of Elijah who's hiding in a hole, threshing out wheat when God appears to him. And so many other people throughout the scriptures are just going on about their life until something happens. And their life takes a drastic turn. It's because God loves detours. He loves to shake us up a little bit. He loves to unsettle us a little bit. And I think here's why. It's not only because God loves detours, but because God uses those detours. He does some profound things when he takes us off course because we love to make plans for our life. We've got it scripted down to every moment, but that's not all God's plan. And sometimes God scraps it and takes us on a wild ride. And I think here's why. I think there's a couple things that we can learn from our detours that God is trying to do through them. 
I think one of the first things that God uses our detours to do is to grow our faith in him. You remember what James would write in James chapter 1, verse 2? He said, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. How many of us plan on adversity and trials? I mean, yeah, we might have contingency plans, but how many of us say, this year going to be the worst year of my life? I can already feel it. This year, something tragic is going to happen. Something catastrophic is going to happen. Something major is going to happen in our life this year, this coming year, 2020, and it's going to totally change the course of our life. None of us do that because we don't know. But yet God can use each one of those trials to do something good, that he can use it to build our faith. Because when we don't know where to go, we just have to trust him. You ever had one of those moments, you ever had one of those prayers where you just lay down on your face or you're driving in your car and you're wrapped up in your thoughts and you just say, God, I don't know what to do. And that's when God says, all right, now, now we can do something awesome in your life. Because when you are totally out of control and you hand it over to God, is there a moment where you have greater faith? No. When you don't know where to go and you are totally trusting God for the next step, your faith is growing more in that moment than in any other moment in your life. And God will use every one of your struggles and difficulties and detours to grow your faith. But here's the second thing we know about detours, that God will use them to take us to new places. When you read through the book of Acts, you meet this guy by the name of Saul. He was a man who was persecuting the church. He wanted nothing more than to destroy this Jesus movement. And he's traveling, of all things, to Damascus. And he's got letters in hand. He's got arrest warrants, if you will. And he's going to throw Christians in jail. And on the road, he is met by Jesus himself. And that one moment changed the rest of Saul's life. It changed it so much that eventually it changed his name to where we call him Paul, he becomes one of the apostles. He becomes one of the greatest missionaries. He goes from persecutor of the church to one of the greatest preachers that the church has ever known, all from a detour. There was a guy by the name of Peter who had been fishing all night with a couple of his buddies, and they're washing their nets. And come strolling by the seashore was a man by the name of Jesus who simply said, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. No more fishing for money. It's time to go fish for men. That detour radically changed Peter's life. And it took him to places he could have never dreamed. He traveled the known world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it led him to the moment where he was willing to die for his faith. Detours have taken all of us places we never expected. My family, me and my family are here at this church because of a detour, because of an unexpected detour that God placed in our life. You might be a Christian because of a detour that God placed in your life, a person that he placed there that you had never known was coming, an opportunity, an invitation, a message, a song that you heard, something that happened that gripped your heart and changed the course of your life. And could it be? Some of you are here today for the first time. And it was totally out of character. Somebody invited you. You just decided, I need to make a change. I don't know what I need to do. I just need 
to go to church, that God brought you here because he wants to use this moment, this day as a detour for the rest of your life because he'll use it to do amazing things. He will take you to new places and he will take you to new opportunities. The Apostle Paul, who we talked about just a minute ago, goes from persecutor to preacher. And actually, because of his faith and his trust in Jesus, gets led to jail. Definitely a place he never expected he would go. But he's not taken to jail because he broke the law. He's taken to jail because he's preaching about Jesus. And he writes something so profound. Could you imagine being thrown into jail for doing nothing wrong? That this feeling of injustice would come over you and you would be so enraged. But not Paul. That's not the kind of faith that he had. He didn't expect to be in jail, but he said, you know what? Let's make the best of this opportunity. And he writes several letters. One of them is called the book of Philippians. It's a letter to the church in Philippi. And he writes it from his prison cell. And he pens something so profound that he gives us some insight on his perspective into this latest detour in his life. Here's what he says in Philippians Chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, when he gets thrown into jail, he doesn't know why he's sent there. He's going, God, what is happening? Why am I here? I'm trying to spread your word. But now his perspective has changed. Oh, I see it now. This is actually for the spread of the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole prison guard and to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. Verse 14 says this, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Could you imagine being one of the jailers, one of the soldiers tasked with guarding Paul, that here is a guy who's been thrown in jail for doing nothing wrong and you're tasked with guarding the guy and he won't stop singing and he won't stop preaching and he won't stop telling you about his faith in Jesus. And he tells you story after story and he is so convinced by it. He is so convicted by it. And it seems so real. And you've never met anybody like him. The guy's amazing. You say, well, tell me a little bit more, Paul. Seemed like a good guy. And the next thing you know, you're confessing those sweet words. I, yeah, I believe Jesus is the son of God. And your jailer is baptized into Christ. And his boss is baptized into Christ. And next thing you know, everybody in the prison, it's like this prison revival all because Paul had the proper perspective that his detour was just an opportunity, that it wasn't punishment, that it wasn't a consequence, it was an opportunity. And how many times in our life have we had detours that we thought were consequences and punishments, but that were really opportunities? That we said, God, why have you done this to me? And it's because we didn't have the perspective to look and see, God, where are you taking me? God, what opportunity are you placing into my path. And it's not easy to see it in the moment, is it? But maybe in the moment or shortly thereafter, we can step back and say, oh, okay, God, I see what you were doing. I see why my job fell through. I see why I didn't get into the school that I wanted to. I see why I had to just uproot and immediately move. I see why this struggle happened. God, I I now see the opportunity. And if nothing else, it could just be an opportunity for you to share Jesus with someone that you would have never come into contact with. Expect unexpected detours. Because God loves them. And he loves using them to grow our faith, to take us to new places, to take us to new opportunities.
Let's go back to Mary for just a moment. The angels come to her. The angel has shared this amazing news with her. You, Mary, have been chosen by God. You are going to give birth to his child. She has a decision. Mary, are you going to take the detour? I love her response. It's so profound. I am the Lord's servant. Wow. You want to know how you faithfully accept the detours that God has placed in your life? You pray that prayer. I am the Lord's servant. But don't you pray it half-heartedly because God will give you what you prayed for. He will use your life to His glory. Joseph, in a sense, prayed that prayer as well. When he was faced with the decision, am I going to take this detour? He may not have spoken those exact words, but that's exactly what his actions said. I am the Lord's servant. God, what you want for my life, do it. It's in your hands. And if you want God to use your detours for His glory and for your good, if you want Him to take you to greater places and to greater opportunities, if you want Him to use those detours to grow your faith, then this is the prayer that each of us must pray. I am the Lord's servant. God, what you want from my life, do it. Because it's yours. Wherever you take me, whatever people you place in my life, Whatever opportunities you place in my path and take away, God, it's all yours. I am the Lord's servant. May not be a greater prayer that we could ever pray than those five words. Would you stand for just a moment? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us together today. Father, we thank you for the story of Mary and Joseph. Real life events, real people who are each faced with a decision. Would they accept the detour you've placed in their life? Lord, thank you for their faith. Thank you for the reminder that you've placed into our life many detours. Some that will take us to places we could not imagine. Opportunities we could not dream of. But Father, the greatest blessing of all, to know that in those moments when we don't know what to do or where to go, that you're leading us. And that those are some of the greatest times and greatest sources of our strength. Father, that those are the greatest moments of our faith when we fully lean on you and trust in your name, in your guidance, in your presence. So, Father, today we give you the the right, we give you the opportunity to do with our lives whatever you will. Father, for those of us willing to pray this prayer, we are your servants. So, Father, use us for your glory. Take us to people, to places that you want us to go. Use us for your purposes. Father, use our lives to bring you glory. Father, for those of us not yet ready to make that prayer, continue to lead our lives, continue to work in our hearts, to put detours in our path, to unshake us, to draw us closer to you. Father, moments like today, we can come and be presented with the truth from your word that you are in control of our lives that you are drawing each of us to you. Father, for those that are here today because you're trying to get their attention and detour their life, Father, may that be evident to them. May they sense your presence and experience your love in a profound way today. Father, we want to be your servants. In Jesus we pray. Amen.
Today, if you'd like to be baptized into Christ, if you want to become the Lord's servant, we want to assist you in that. If you need prayers for your faith because you haven't been serving the Lord as you should, then we'd love to encourage you with that as well. If we can help you in any way, won't you come to the front as we stand and when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory is on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey, trust and for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at His feet. Oh, we'll walk by His side in the way. What He said we will do, where He sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Be seated, please.